we thank you for the victory that is ours. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the precious Holy Spirit who is here to teach us and to instruct us. Father, we want you to have your way in this place. So we submit unto you that you might speak to each of our hearts. Father, we want your will to be done in each of our lives. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. And go ahead and be seated. Praise the Lord. Well, we're doing a different teaching tonight. You know, it's an interesting thing about the Word of God. You can do a series um, and then do what is not a series. And it's really a series because it's the Bible. And so... <clears throat> We'll just do a continuous series on the Bible. And so uh, tonight we're going to be talking about um, taking the limits off of God. We're gonna, probably going to talk about it for the next couple of weeks. I think we have like uh, three weeks left before uh, the official break. And um, so we're going to begin to talk a little about, about um, not limiting God. Uh, tomorrow, we're, tonight we're going to talk about wrong beliefs because I think one of the primary ways that we limit God is in our belief system, what we believe. What we believe about Him, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about what's been accomplished. And so that's why, you know, again, that's why the Word is so important because it's the Word that determines what we truly believe. Uh, and so... We're going to be looking tonight, like I said, at um, wrong beliefs or believing the wrong thing. You know, the reason that this is important is, you know, a lot of people have this idea um, that God's completely in control, um, that um, everything that happens uh, is a direct result of His will being accomplished. You know, that if you're uh, marriage falls apart, uh, it's the will of God, and he's just using that to teach you something. Uh, if your business goes under, um, just accept it. That's the will of God. Uh, you know, it's always amazing to me that people that believe in uh, the sovereignty of God from the standpoint that he's in charge of everything complain about so many things. You know, because if God's in charge, if he's the one that's brought it about, why are we complaining? We shouldn't complain about it. We ought to just thank him for it. You know, but um, that's wrong thinking because we see it over and over again uh, how um, God has given us principles uh, in the Word that when we take those principles and we apply them in our lives, it's, it's going to produce change. Um, that whether we prosper or not has as much to do with us as it does with God. Whether or not we live a healthy life, it has as much to do with us as it does with God. And so when we, we think that case uh, sera, what will be, will be, uh, we just put our confidence in God and He's going to take care of everything, well, we open our, ourselves up for destruction. You know, Proverbs 23, we're all familiar with the scripture. We talk about it so often. But it says, as a man thinks in his heart, 
so is he. You know, so the way that we think about things, the thoughts that we have, uh, it's very important because those thoughts are going to determine the course of our life. What's in our heart is eventually what we're going to live out. And so, as a man thinks in his heart, and so that's why we see, and we've talked about it over and over again in Romans 12 too, where we're, we're told that, um, that we're not to be conformed to this world, but we were to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we might prove that which is good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. But we're to be transformed. The way that we're transformed is from the inside. We're transformed as we begin to focus upon uh, the truths of the Word of God. And so I believe that one of the big um, wrong beliefs, if you will, is to just simply think, well, you know, whatever happens is the will of God. Uh, he's given us authority. We just got done spending, what, 26 weeks on talking about the believer's authority. And the point of it is, is that uh, he's given us authority. And if we don't exert that authority, if we don't recognize that we can affect the circumstances and things in our life with the authority of the Word of God, um, we don't believe that that's wrong thinking. It's wrong believing. And it's going to take us down a path uh, that we really don't want to go. Um, most of us have brought in the lie uh, that there's nothing special about us. We're special. Everybody say, I'm special. Now say it with a smile like you believe it. I'm special. But see, wrong believing is that we, we don't believe that. We, we don't think that way. But what, do, what we believe is to be determined by what the Word of God says. Not by what others say, not by what we see in the world, not by what we think. It's, it's determined by what the Word of God says. Now, <clears throat> In Jeremiah, the 29th chapter and the 11th verse, it makes a very interesting statement concerning us. It says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Well, he knows the thoughts that he thinks for, towards us. Thoughts of peace um, and not, in, not of evil to give you a future and a hope. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. And so when we begin to focus upon him, we begin to realize that the thoughts that he has for us is good thoughts. Thoughts that he has for us is good thoughts and, and for our success, that's good thoughts. Our, our victorious life, that's good thoughts. Those are the thoughts that he has towards us. He doesn't have thoughts towards us of defeat and uh, that we're not going to achieve, that we can't overcome. And I think, you know, as a result of that, uh, for us to realize, again, it's not according to what I say, it's according to what he says, that we are that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, again, you, you watch half the junk that's on the TV and it's, all that it does is tells us how imperfect we are. And if we don't get this, that, and the other thing, you know, we're, we're not going to uh, be, measure up. But God says in Psalms 139, verse 14, 
says, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Well, does our soul know that very well? Of course, we know that our soul is our mind, our will, and emotions. You know, do we focus upon that? Or do we focus on the negative, what the world would tell us is negative, what others have told us as negative? Or do we look into the mirror and we declare, you know, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. But that's the attitude that we need to have about ourselves. But if we don't have that, if we don't think properly, it takes us down that path of destruction. It takes us down that path of hopelessness. In her notes it says, most of us are living way below God's standard. Way below God's standard. Limiting what he wants to do in our lives. See, if we don't see ourselves the way God sees us, we're going to limit what he wants to do in our lives. You know, I, I believe in predestination. I believe that all men man has been predestined to be saved. All men aren't saved, though, because they choose not to receive what Jesus has done for them. I believe that each and every one of us have been predestined to be successful in life. But oftentimes we don't see the manifestation of it because we don't choose to believe what God says about us. You see, the thing about God is he's a gentleman. He's never going to override our will or our belief system. If he would do that, he would have to go against everything that he intended when he created us. He created us as a free will agent that we might be able to choose. And so if he just selectively chooses to override our wills, he would be going against everything that he intended for you and I. The number one thing he intended for you and I is for us to have a free choice. What he wanted us to do with that choice was to choose to serve him, to follow him. You know, we can, we can go to hell if we want to. I happen to think we're pretty stupid if we choose that. But we can choose that if we want to. He's given us that freedom to choose that. But as for me and my house, we choose to follow after the living God. And that's the choice that we make. Um, and so we need to uh, measure up and fulfill the potential. He's not called any of us to be failures. He's called all of us to be successful in life. And for us to be successful, we're going to have to um, choose to believe what he says rather than what the world and circumstances and everything else has to say. And why is that so important? You know, <clears throat> God has one plan for the salvation of mankind. And that's for believers to preach the gospel. And so for us to put, preach the gospel, we have to believe that we are equipped, that we have something worthy of speaking out. Because without that, uh, individuals aren't going to be saved. We are, all of us, are in a position of leadership. You know, I say, well, I don't know what I'm leading. You know, well, uh, the definition of leadership is defined as influence. Every one of us 
have influence over somebody. And so that's why the gospel is so important, that we recognize our position, that we step into that position of leadership, that we influence those individuals around us. You know, so I may not have influence over everybody, but I've got influence over somebody. There are individuals that others of us we, in this room, we don't have influence over them. But I'll guarantee you, every one of us in this room, there's somebody that we have influence over. And so we have to know who we are. We have to know our position. We have to know what we're called to. We have to know that God will use us for, for us to exert that influence over those individuals. The number one thing where we want to demonstrate and use our leadership is leading somebody into a relationship with Jesus. You know, I, I think so often we look at some of these things and we, we take them to the umph degree where we need to read it, really scale it back to where it really begins with the nitty gritty, where the rubber really meets the road. And ultimately, each and every one of us, our purpose of being here is to further the kingdom of God. I mean, that's, that's ultimately it. It's not to buy a new car, a new house, or, uh, you know, do vacations and all. All those things are nice add-ons. But our primary purpose in still using up the oxygen that's in this earth is to further the kingdom of God. And the only way that we can do that it was, is with our, <clears throat> with our ability, with our opportunity, taking opportunity and having influence in the lives of people. You know, in, in Psalm 74, I was just thinking about this verse and how this verse, or not 74, 78, how if we will <coughs> use this verse, if we will get a revelation of this verse, how it can revolutionize our lives. Just listen to it. Um, Psalm 74, verse 41. Yes, and again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. What is he talking about? He's talking about the children of Israel. They limited God. Why did they limit God? Because they didn't believe him. And every time we don't believe what the Word of God says about me, about my situation, about individuals, every time I choose to believe something other than what the Word of God says, what happens is I begin to limit him. I begin to say, you can go this far, so far, and no more. That's how far you're able to go. You know, I heard this statement, if your life isn't supernatural, it's superficial. You know, you might want to circle that one and draw a couple lines under it. And if you've got a color marker, run it through it two or three times. You know, <clears throat> because if we're not living supernatural, it's superficial. But you know what? Anything, if, if our whole life, if we're living it within our ability and we're not having to depend upon God at all, it isn't supernatural. It's actually superficial and we're limiting God as to what he would want to do in our lives. You know, one of the biggest issues, problems that we have is we're, we're, so, <laughs> we're so capable. 
maybe not me, but y'all. We're, 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 so, we're so capable of doing stuff. And uh, we're able to, um, you know, really, if, 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 if you're honest about it, we're able to live out our life and not even have a thought about God. We could go through an entire day and not even have a thought about God and come through at the end of it and feel successful. Well, guess what? We didn't live a supernatural day. We lived a superficial day because it was a day that we depended completely upon ourselves and upon our own abilities. God wants to, he wants to take us beyond ourselves. He wants to take us to a place where the, the world says we would never be able to achieve it. We would never be able to go there. And uh, he's done it. You know, I can look around the room and I can see individuals that God has done that in his life because within the world they would say that you would never have been able to achieve that. But you were able to achieve it not because you depended upon self, but because you depended upon him. And he wants to take us uh, where we've not been. Uh, God wants to call us to something bigger than ourselves. You know, that's when life really gets exciting because it's at that point then we have to depend upon him. We can't just depend upon ourselves. You know, God called me to preach while as an introvert is scared to get up in front of three people and talk. God called me to pastor a church when I was still an individual that if I went to a party someplace, I'd be the one in the corner, you know, trying to hide from somebody and hoping they wouldn't come over and talk to me because I wouldn't have anything to say. You know, so he, he took me beyond myself. And that's what he wants to do in each of every one of our lives. He wants to take us beyond ourselves. You know, if you feel in your heart that God has called you to do something that you feel incapable of doing, it's probably God. If you feel that God's called you to do something, you have all the equipment you need to be able to do it, it's probably not. Because he wants to take you further than that. He wants to take you to a place where you're, you and I, where we're totally dependent upon him. All of us have missed God at some point in our life. Amen. All of us have. It's, it's not something to be ashamed of. It's just something to not repeat. <laughs> but we've all missed God. We've not hear him, heard him clearly. We've not followed direction. You know, he's asked us to do something big, but we've settled for the small thing. Because of fear, because of fear of failure, because of the fear of man. But you know, it always takes us back to Psalms 78, 41. It says, again and again, they tempted God, limiting the Holy One of Israel. And what we do is when we, when we settle for the small, when he's called us to something big, we've limited him. We've said, basically, God, I can trust you to do this, but... <laughs> <clears throat> That's too much. You know, we, we can't possibly go there. But yes, he wants to take us there. He wants us to, to take off the limits. He wants us to trust him and step into the big things and accomplish more than what we could have ever within ourselves thought, dreamed, or imagined. He wants, us, he wants to take us there. And so <clears throat> it's, 
it's more than just the principle, the fear of God, you know, uh, the fear that God isn't going to intervene uh, hinders us, it limits him, oftentimes even in, in, in the standpoint of healing, how God's going to work healing or whatever it may be in our life. You know, John, uh, or 3 John 2, it says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. You know, and so what that tells us is whether it be uh, through healing or whether it be through financial prosperity or prosperity in any other area of our life, we'll never be able to go beyond that which our soul prospers. In other words, I can't walk in something that I don't know about. I can't walk in something that hasn't been revealed to me. You know, that's why uh, one is because she's such a great teacher, but the other reason why Pastor Becky's study is on Saturday morning has been uh, so uh, much of a re revelation for so many people is because there's been such a focus upon the Word of God that you've, you've been able to prosper or grow within your soul. In other words, it was able to expand what you thought God was able to make available to you. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to expand our thinking. He wants to expand us so that we can see how big God really is because he's so much, he's so much bigger than we see him as. And it isn't in mass. It's just that he's huge in what he's able to do in our lives if we'll, if we'll but give him an opportunity to be big. You know, the Bible says concerning Moses, and most of us, you know, we, 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 can't, even, we can't even think in this direction. But it, it says that when Moses was 120 years old, his eyes hadn't even dimmed. In other words, he could, he could see clearly. That's why he was able to walk up that mountain at 120 years old and look over into the promised land and see what he is missing. <laughs> that had to be a real thrill. <clears throat> Number one, walking up the mountain at age 120. Just think, yeah, he had to walk up a mountain to die. Think about that. That'll hit you someplace sometime this evening. But here he is, 120 years old. He had to walk up the mountain so that he could die. You know, Jeff and Amy wanted to, kept wanting to get us to walk up this so-called mountain that they got down there because the view from it is so beautiful. And I said, I've been on the Rockies. I've driven up the Rockies and look at the view and then driven back down. Why would I want to climb a mountain? We climbed a mountain one time in Honduras when they said it was just a little slope. And every time you went another around a bend, there was another bend and another bend, all to see a bunch of stupid monkeys that had already gone down the mountain. We wouldn't even have had to go up the mountain to see the mountain keys because they went down them. They were smart. We were dumb. So anyway, just a thought. <clears throat> but anyway, Moses climbed a mountain and uh, listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 38, 7 concerning him. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim 
nor his natural vigor diminished. In other words, the guy had some energy. You know, I don't know about you. I, you know, um, people got, keep telling him because mom's 99, she's going to be 100 in August. You know, and so according to that, I've got, you know, pretty close to another 30 years left in me. I guess. You know, <clears throat> but you know what? I only want those 30 years if they're going to be productive. You know, and so if, if I'm done with my course, if I finish what God's called me to do, I just, I'd just soon split. Just be done with the whole deal. You know, and so if, uh, you know, because uh, the devil isn't going to take me. Uh, but if I'm done with what I'm supposed to be doing here, um, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just ready to go. And, and so if uh, you hear some kind of a report that Pastor Dave kicked off, don't be sad. Um, just report, just rejoice and say, well, I guess he's done. Because evidently I am. Because I plan on living till I'm done. <laughs> just, just kidding. <clears throat> Pastor, that's nothing to cat about. Well, anyway. By the way, so if you hear that report, just, just say, praise the Lord. He did it. Glory to God. He did it. Amen. You know, we get so hung up on some of the silliest things like staying here when there's a heaven that's just waiting for us. Well, maybe it's my age because it's looking better all the time. <laughs> Glory to God. But here he, here's Moses. Old covenant. We have a new covenant, a better covenant. And so if God did that for Moses under the old covenant, just think what he'll do for you and I if we continue to put our trust and our confidence, get our expectations out there. Deuteronomy 7.17, it says, <clears throat> If you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can uh, I dispossess them? We begin to look at the circumstances around us. And we see that the circumstances are, are bigger. You know, this, this is, uh, again, talking about the children of Israel with the promised land. They limited God. Going back to that, they limited God because they didn't believe him. God told them, go in and possess the land. What'd they do? They sent spies out. The spies came back. And the spy says, there's giants in the land. They've fortified their, their towns. We were, we were small compared to the, the giants. We were as grasshoppers in our own sight. And so they believed the report, and what happened? They didn't go in and possess the land. They allowed the circumstances to dictate to them. Let's not allow circumstances to dictate to us. When they did that, they limited God, and he couldn't drive out uh, and he couldn't drive the nations out. They limited God. Hebrews 4.2 says, For indeed the gospel was preached for us as to them, but the word which they heard 
did not profit them, not mix, being mixed with faith in those who heard it. And so the word, they, they heard the word of God, but it didn't profit them because they didn't mix it with faith. What does that mean? They didn't put actions behind it. James tells us faith without works, faith without corresponding action is dead. <clears throat> talk, talk doesn't solve it all. Eventually, there has to be action behind the words. Posting a bunch of stuff on Facebook isn't a substitute for doing something. There's got to be actions behind the words that we perform. Many use Ephesians 20, 320 to, to simply say, and they, they take that verse and they simply say, well, you know, God can do anything. Ephesians 3.20 Done to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask according notice it isn't he's just simply able to do that but it's according to something according to the power that works in us and why is that power working in us? It's working in us to equip us to do something, to effectually do the work that has been set before us. In Jude 20, it says that we're to pray in the Holy Ghost. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Why do we, why do, we do that? Why do we want to be built up in faith? We want to be built up in faith so there's actions. <clears throat> True faith demands an action. True faith doesn't sit dormant. True faith does something. True faith has an action that comes behind it. When you've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ concerning salvation, and you've heard that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And for by grace we've been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. And that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that if a man believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord, he shall be saved. If you hear that and you believe that, it's not enough to think about it. It demands action on your part. And you do something. We did something about it. I remember sitting in the basement of Vernon Lewis's house and hearing those words. And I, I didn't, they didn't have to force me to pray and receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I wanted to. There was an action that came behind it. You know, people talk about God moving in ways. You know, I believe that if we would take the Word of God and act upon the Word of God, we wouldn't see these movements. We would see God. And we would see it transpiring all at the same time in what we were aware of, of what we could believe. But you know, most of the time what happens with the movements and what we call the ways of God is we finally have received a revelation or an understanding of it. You know, it's an interesting thing, you know, in the, you know, 
during the Azusa Street Revival and all those things, we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in a, in a, in a huge measure. But you know, <clears throat> you can go back in history and throughout history there was always a remnant of people that believed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit because they had seen it in the Word of God. We go through the 40s and the 50s and we see the healing revivals, the mass healings that took place even prior to that, beginning in the 30s. But you know what? There were always healings. You can go back and you can see where there were manifestations of healings. Why? Because there were individuals that accepted what the Word of God said concerning that. But where the wave came was there were a group of individuals that corporately began to believe that truth and began to speak it and began to believe it and began to act upon it. And what happened? People were being saved and healed by the scores. We see it over and over again. The prosperity message of Kenneth Copeland, <clears throat> that was not the beginning of the message. It's always been in the scripture. But you know, there was always a remnant of people that were prospering because they believed the word of God. And so what, what's, what's interesting is it doesn't have to be either or. We can just simply stop limiting God and believe, begin to believe what his word says and begin to act upon it and begin to put it into practice in our life. God wants to move and bring us into our promised land. And how do we get into our promised land? How do we get to that point? It's by hearing what the Word of God says, believing what the Word of God says, and we begin to act upon what the Word says. And what happens is we begin to enter into the promises. The promises have already been made available to us. It's already ours. It's there for the taking. That's how it was for the children of Israel. God had told them, you don't have to fight the fight. I'll fight the fight. All we have to do is be obedient and act. And that's how it is for us with our promised land. We simply need to begin to believe what the word of God says and we begin to act upon it and expect as God moves that we're going to see the increase, whatever it might be, in our lives. We're to measure ourselves according to the Word of God, not according to the world or even ourselves. You know, if we, if we, if we measure ourselves according to ourselves, we limit ourselves. This is all I can do. But you know what? When we measure ourselves according to God and according to His Word, it's limitless what we're able to do. 2 Corinthians 10, 12, it says, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who condemn us, condemn themselves, but they measure themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. You know what? <clears throat> it's, not, it's not wise to compare yourself or measure yourself by anybody else. Because as soon as you do that, you put a limitation on it. 
Or if you begin to examine yourself and you begin to say, well, this is what I'm capable of, no more than this. You're measuring yourself by yourself. And so what you're doing is you're limiting God. You're telling God, you can only go this far and you can't go any further. We need to take the limits off. We need to stop comparing ourselves by ourselves or the things around us. We need to use the Word of God and allow that to dominate our thought life. Many of us look at our parents, our grandparents, television. We listen to the bad things that have happened to other people. And we look at them and we think, well, you know, who am I that I ought to think anything better ought to happen to me? We limit ourselves. You've heard me share how there was this lady up in Wapaka, Wisconsin. She was in another church, but she had MS, and uh, she was confined to bed, and, and she was part of this other Pentecostal church in town, and we'd go to a lot of the meetings over there, and, and when they'd have a healing revival or whatever, um, she would come to those meetings, and they'd literally have to bring her in an ambulance because she couldn't sit up, and they'd bring her in in a gurney, and she'd sit there, and, and she never received the manifestation of her healing. And so there were a lot of people in that church that limited God's ability to heal because of the experience of this woman. And I, I knew the woman. She was, a very, she was a wonderful lady. And people would say, this woman was such a marvelous Christian, such a wonderful lady. If God was going to heal anybody, he would heal her. And so since God hasn't healed her, obviously it isn't his will to heal everybody. Because if he would have healed anybody, he would have healed her. And so immediately that limited them. And so they would bring her to all the meetings because she was still believing or wanted to believe that God would heal her. But you know, her very presence was a hindrance. Because people would go forward for healing and then they'd look over at her and they'd see her and why isn't she healed? And if it's God's will to heal, why isn't she healed? And so if it isn't God's will to heal her, surely it's not God's will to heal me because I've not lived as righteous a life as she's healed, as she's lived. Well, if your healing depended upon your righteousness, <clears throat> well, let me put it this way. If your healing was dependent upon your fruits of righteousness, we don't stand a chance. But our healing is based upon our righteousness that we have in Christ Jesus, for we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and because of the righteous position that we hold in Christ Jesus, healing belongs to us. And so we can expect healing to come to us. You know, when we compare ourselves by ourselves, we begin to limit ourselves. We look at the circumstances and we think, well, you know, how can anything good happen to me? But you know, Philippians 4.19 says, but my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches. Not according to what I see in everybody else, not according to the way he's blessed somebody else, but according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. You've all heard my little testimony about when this scripture became alive to me. When I was mowing the lawn at the strip mod at Wapaka, Wisconsin. 
And my scripture that I was memorizing that day was Philippians 4.19. And just before I left home that day, Becky had said, I don't know what we're going to do. I, we need groceries, and I don't know where we're going to get the money for it because we just don't have enough money. You know, <clears throat> um, and my scripture that day was, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. So I spent the whole morning confessing that because I was memorizing it. In mid-afternoon, it was like the scripture went from my head down in my heart. No circumstance had changed. Everything was still the same as it was before I had gone there that morning. But I knew something. I knew that my God would supply all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And you know what? He did. How did he do it? I have no idea. But he did. Because we simply put our trust and we put our confidence in him. That's what it comes down to. Putting our trust, putting our confidence in him, not being limited, not limiting him by our limitations. We allow him to have his way in our lives. You know, we look at it and we, we hear it all the time. Well, I'm only human. You know, they, whatever it is that takes place, maybe it's something we should do or it's something we shouldn't do. I'm only human. I remember hearing an individual talk about that when we were talking about the exploits of one of our former presidents. The comment that came was, well, you know, all sinned. We've, we're only human. Well, let me tell you something. As a born-again believer, you are not only human. You are one-third Spirit. That means you are wall-to-wall -wall Holy Ghost. And so you are not simply human. So I hate to burst your bubble, but you can't use that excuse anymore because you are not only human. Yes, we could call you superhuman because you're a combination of a human and the living Spirit. But we need to recognize that. You know, um, the angel of the Lord um, brought accusation against one of the churches in Revelation 3.16 because he said, you're lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either hot or cold. But because you're simply lukewarm, I'm going to I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. And you know, when we have that kind of an attitude, what that demonstrates is, is lukewarmness. Says that we're, you know, I heard somebody give this definition of being lukewarm one time. It's room temperature. You know, as believers, we're not to be room temperature. That means whatever the temperature is of the room that we're in, that's what dictates. You know, and so if I'm in church, I'm hot. If I'm out in the world, I'm cold. What, what it, it, it's determined by my environment. We're not to, be, to allow our environment to determine who we are and what we do. We do that according to the Word of God. It's not only true of healing and in our finances, it's whatever takes place in the spiritual realm. 
What are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to the world? Or are we going to listen to God? Are we going to hear what he has to speak? <clears throat> or are we going to listen to what everybody else around us has to say? And so we, 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 the number one way, you know, we closed off uh, talking about spiritual authority last week. You know, the main subject that we dealt with was um, the way that we think. Our thinking process and how the number one battle that we're in is the enemy wants us to think worldly, wants to think that we can't. And so we limit God with the thinking process, and that's the number one tool that the enemy will use against us to get us uh, to limit him. We as believers should be doing better than the average person. Why? Because we're not average. We're above average because we have the influence of the Holy Spirit in this present evil world. And so we ought to be doing better than the average bear. We ought to be doing great. In Galatians, the first chapter in the fourth verse, <clears throat> it says, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this evil present age, <clears throat> or this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. But listen to the, get, this again. Who gave himself for our sins. Why did he pay the price for our sins? That he might deliver us. So because he paid the price for our sins, we have been delivered. What have we been delivered from? This present evil age. In other words, this evil age that we live in no longer has any voice in our life unless we allow it to. Unless we give it a voice. That he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father. And so what we need to know is what's the will of God? Because if we know what the will of God is, then by default we know what we've been delivered from. And so what's the will of God? It's right here in the book. And so if we don't have the book, if we don't have revelation of the Word of God, if we don't have understanding of the Word of God, if we don't even have knowledge of the Word of God, there's no avenue by which He can deliver us from that which we've already been delivered from. And so we, we, we hear it over and over again. We're individuals who, who walked in freedom fall back into bondage once again. Why does that happen? That happens because they've neglected the truth of the Word of God, and as a result of that, they eventually buy in again to the lie, and they begin to limit God. I got a whole new direction that I could go here with this. But we don't have time. You know, I was talking with Pastor Mike Kalstrup on 
Friday because we were over in trainer for uh, Andrew's birthday. Well, Emily's track day and then Andrew's birthday. And we, we, we just got talking about when we came into the kingdom, into the charismatic renewal. Because if you look at things, you, you, you see so many of the churches around us, you know, just like even down in Little Rock, they're celebrating 40 years. And, uh, and so, so many of the churches and ministries are celebrating, you know, between 45 and 35 years. And that's when the move came in. And, and uh, I think I shared it on Sunday a little bit about how I was listening to Jerry Seville on Sunday morning. And he was talking about how 38 years ago when he um, hooked up with Kenneth Copeland and they began to do their conferences all over the, the country, the world. He said a lot of times, he says, my, my room would be overlooking the front of the conference center that we were meeting in. And, and I'd see... <clears throat> two hours before the meetings were going to start, people would start lining up outside. And, and uh, they'd be just sitting around in the grass and lined up. And the doors would open up and everybody would go storming in because everybody wanted a front row seat. And he said it was so exciting. It was such an exciting time because I remember when we were here, we'd go over to, because uh, Mike Kalstrup had a lot of connections with Tulsa. And we went over and we saw Sandy Brown and we saw... Uh, Dave Roberson and we saw all their speakers over there and we'd get a carload of people and we'd go over for the evening and and uh, you know just you know they would they'd have 400 people in their auditorium when you know that was just totally uncommon but everybody is so excited and come from everywhere you know we'd drive two hours over and two hours back so that we could we could hear a speaker and he, but then Jerry Seville said, but then over the years, you began to see the numbers begin to dwindle. And you began to see uh, they, they're no longer rushing to the front. They could lollygag in because, you know, the crowds weren't so big and so forth. And, and he says, he asked Kenneth Copeland, why is that? What happened? And Kenneth Copeland says, well, that's, that's very simple. He said, the word of faith message has lost its entertainment value. And so because of that, people aren't as enthusiastic about it as they once were because it's no longer entertaining them. The word of faith was never supposed to entertain us. The word of faith was always made available to us and for us to adapt to our lives so that we could live victoriously. And you know, one of the things that we see is we see all these different churches and they're <clears throat> They're not just simply changing the method, they're changing the message. And they're moving away from the word of faith message because they've got to increase the entertainment value so that people will come into their doors. Well, let me tell you something. <clears throat> if, if there's only, let's see, what did you say? There were only eight that made it into the ark. If we're down to eight people on a Sunday morning, we're going to preach the word of faith. And if you don't like that, it's very easy. Fire me. Just run me off. Because as long as I'm here, we're preaching the word of faith. Now we preach grace. But it was easy because we just simply added grace to faith. Because grace and faith go hand in hand. 
We didn't have to forsake the word of faith to have discipleship because discipleship is part of it. You don't have to forsake faith. And let me tell you something, if you do forsake faith, you're foolish. Because the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So that means without faith, anything that we do is a waste of time because it's not pleasing to God. I want to be pleasing to God. I want to take the limits off. I want to see us do what we've never done before. But in order for us to do that, we need to take off the limits and believe God and not allow the circumstances of this world to dictate to us what we're going to do and what we're not going to do as individuals and as a church. And so we're going to do that continuously. Deuteronomy 28, 13, we'll close with this. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. Praise the Lord. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and be careful to observe them. Well, pastor, that's Old Testament. That's Old Covenant. But you know what? The principle of obedience hasn't changed. Thank you for those rousing amens. You know, it's the truth. Grace does not, what would be the right word? Replace, dissolve, obedience. Grace empowers us to be obedient as we never have been before. Because grace reveals to us what Jesus has done, what he's accomplished for us. People say, well, I don't tithe anymore. I don't have to tithe. I'm under grace. No, you're not. You're selfish. <laughs> because grace empowers you to be able to tithe as you never have before. Why? Because grace reveals to us the promises that have been made available to us. And as we act upon the Word of God, as we put it into practice in our life, we're able to demonstrate faith more fully than we ever have before because we know how it's grace-based. And it's what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. Glory to God. Nothing like ending on a positive note. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Be blessed in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost.